Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, or your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest on this episode, Natasha Phipps, is a longtime Calgary Ray member and an experienced realtor with an extensive history of working and excelling in the real estate industry. Skilled in all aspects of real estate deals, Natasha leverages her many years growing up in the construction industry to support both her investor-focused and retail clients. Raised in Calgary, she is very proud to call the city her home where she and her husband, along with their two children, enjoy spending time together. Now, Natasha's personal experience as a very accomplished real estate investor herself provides the background to offer her experience and exceptional service to her real estate investor-focused clients. Natasha is compelled to work in taking part in new projects and ones that make economic sense for her clients and to develop and grow professionally. She defines herself by going above and beyond the norm for her clients and for her realtor counterparts and the CAR team. Today, Natasha joins me to talk real estate in Calgary and surrounding area, as well as her journey to living a life by design. Natasha Phipps, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So, Natasha, you're a real estate investor. You're a realtor. You're a RAIN member. You're a mother, a wife. All of those good things. I don't know where to start this conversation, but let's start with uh, a little bit about what you do. Now, I know you're a realtor and you're a real estate investor, but I know it's also way broader than that. So if somebody's meeting Natasha for the first time and they say, Natasha, what do you do? What's your answer to that question? 
I help people reach their goals. You know, it's really about this lifestyle component. And like you said, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a realtor, I'm a real estate investor. I'm all these things. And we have other businesses as well. So it's a matter of doing everything I can to give that person as much value as possible. And that, that isn't always the same for every person. So I love helping people reach their goals. I also help, I love teaching people about what they can do with their lives, with their money, with their, with their passions. And um, real estate is one way to do that. It's one way to fund many different things and it can open up a lot of doors for people. So my favorite part is meeting people, finding out what makes them tick and helping them, you know, take that even one step further. Now, you've been part of the RAIN community for a number of years. Let's go back. So when did you start investing yeah. in real estate? And then give me a little bit of background of your now realtor, really yeah. investor, really investor focused. But give me yes. a little bit of a background of how that journey started for you. So uh, I grew up in the country and nowhere near the city. But as most kids grow up, they want to move into the city. And uh, my mom was a banker and very young, she taught me about a mortgage and uh, how I should never pay someone else's mortgage down, if at all possible. And so when I moved into the city, I was very lucky. My parents helped me buy my first property before I was even 20 years old. And uh, I wasn't in that property very long, but I sold it because um, I was making some personal changes, but I sold it and I walked away and I made $10,000, which isn't that much now in the scheme of things. But at the time I was just thinking, holy crap, all I did was live in this house, paid my bills, walked away and made a little bit of money. And at that time, um, this is like year 2000-ish. Um, at that time, it was pretty easy to get financing, pretty easy to make money. And my dad was uh, in new construction, still is. And so I had a lot of inroads to find some really great opportunities. And I started just kind of riding the market where I would, uh, you know, move into a property, let that property appreciate, pay my bills and on and on we go. But I got lucky. I didn't know what I know now. I, it was purely luck at the end of the day now that I look back on it. But when I finished my marketing degree and was, I was actually working in the oil and gas field. I didn't like the corporate life. I didn't like sitting in an office all day, but I loved these, these kind of little real estate stories that I had on the side and what they did for me. And they, they I made a considerable amount of money um, before I was 25 just by doing this and became a realtor because of it. Partly became a realtor because I started learning what I didn't know. I didn't know that I could have refinanced some of those properties and kept them. I just sold them, but no one ever told me that. You know, There was no one ever saying, hey, maybe you should consider this, right? And so I was a little bit, I was a little bit irritated once I started learning this and thought, okay, this is what I want to do. And um, became a, a realtor shortly after that with the, with the intention of steering my career towards real estate investments. So that's really how I got started. And then the, the new construction backgrounds of my kind of youth was a really great asset for me to jump into my career as well. So yeah, that's a little bit how I got started. Now, that's interesting is, let's just talk a little bit about your parents' support around that. So they're giving you some guidance yeah. in, that, in that regard. It sounds like they would have been pretty instrumental in how you move forward and, and take it on. I mean, even today, 10 grand for a 20-year-old, for many 20-year-olds is a lot of money. So as much as yeah. we look at it in hindsight and go, it wasn't a lot of money, but you're 20, yeah. 10 grand's a pretty good hit, of, you it's know, it's a nice chunk of change, right? <laughs> it's like, whoa, 
That was yeah, easy. I drove to the lawyer and got my check. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's awesome. So as you go along and you're you've got the support of your parents. Now, when you look at realtor and this, the how did you kind of find that? Because we look at forks in the road. I always in the context of seemingly ordinary, achieving extraordinary results, I often find with my guests that there are certain forks in the road. And so mm-hmm. as you're, you got your marketing degree, you're working in the oil and gas industry. I mean, that's gotta be humming back then too. You're not into a, a, a yeah. major downturn. So you're making actually a career choice uh, given, yes. your, given your degree and given the oil and gas industry out of Calgary, particularly. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. whole world is about it. So kind of in that decision-making process for you, what was it? Why, why realtor? Because that to me would appear to be a fork in the road for you. Yeah. The entrepreneurial kind of side uh, is definitely driven by my family. My dad, like I said, is in new construction, um, has been in his business for 35 plus years now, and was very instrumental in, in kind of shaping the way I was taught and what I thought about business. And I really wanted to kind of take control. I didn't want to be working for, for somebody else. Um, I didn't like some of the politics. I didn't like how I was treated in that office as a woman. I didn't like a lot of things and I just wasn't happy about it. And you're absolutely right. There was tons of opportunity, no doubt about it. But I knew there was lots of opportunity over here as well. My parents did a great job of giving me everything I needed. I started working for the family business when I was 12. Like my dad had me working on job sites, climbing ladders, using tools, everything from learning the books to the payroll to my first sales role was he went to work one morning and this was like summer break. I was like 16 through the yellow pages on the desk and said, we need more work. Call every builder in town. And I was terrified, (laughs) but I booked us several meetings and actually landed us one of our largest clients of all time during that time. And I was only 16 years old. And so I, I, I had that, like, I can do this kind of attitude. And um, both my parents were very, very instrumental in that. So I had the confidence to do it and knew that, you know, if I was going to do it, now's the time. If, if, if I wait, you know, till I'm, you know, 35, 40 or later, it would be that much harder. And I truly believe that taking those risks when you're younger um, pays off big time, right? And at least you can you can learn and fail without having so much responsibilities like we do now. Just as a sidebar, just out of curiosity, you have siblings? Yeah. Have yes, siblings? I have an older brother. Yeah, I have an older brother. He's yeah. almost eight years older than me, and he still works for my dad's company. Yeah. Right. So, okay, so you 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 see this opportunity in the world of real estate. You look at the realtor. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to be kind of in that you can work for somebody, but still be independent in, in that right. space. So, you know, so you see the opportunity to take that on. And so yeah. you jump in and, uh, how many years ago was that now? Almost 13. Almost 13 years ago. And yeah. so you're, you're, you're there. So you say, okay, I'm going to cut my teeth in the, in the space of being a realtor. Where did you, did you right away get into this space? Say, I'm going to support investors. That's going to be my focus. How did you decide what you were going to focus on as a realtor? So at the time when I was first licensed, um, I actually had just met my husband. We moved to the Okanagan for fun, you know, thought we could make a go of it there. Um, But it was very, very challenging to just say, I'm going to be a real estate investor, you know, and a realtor together. And people would take me seriously. I was very young. 
Um, I didn't have a lot of contacts. And so definitely like, I mean, the first several years was a lot of learning and failing and learning and failing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we eventually did move back to Calgary where most of my network was, where I could, it wasn't until then though, where, so we're talking maybe like 10 years ago now, where I could really start using my contacts and my experience and, and um, my interest in the investment world to even get started. But it, it's, it's a bit of a space where you kind of got to, earn your spot, you know, like, um, it's not something I said, I'm going to be an investor focused realtor. And there you go. It, it's, it, it is a process. Now I'm a hundred percent focused in, in, in that space, but I would say that switch, I didn't really take it like a hundred percent seriously until about five years ago. Like, this is all I like to do. Why am I wasting my time doing other things when this is what I love and this is where I have the biggest impact. So it took, it, t- it took time. It's, it's, it's hard to turn down work, right? <laughs> it's hard to say, no, I don't want to focus on that. So. Well, now let's talk a little bit about that because in the space of realtor, you know, I know many, many realtors. I know that the yeah. journey is not an easy journey. Uh, very few realtors, you know, in, in the scope of how many realtors there are in the world, uh, very few make their full-time living uh, being realtors. It's a very small percentage. I, I, I want to say it's like 2% or something that actually, yeah. 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 So Talk a little bit about here. This is interesting, Natasha, because I've gotten to know you over the past, you know, couple of years for sure. And mm-hmm. and there's a certain way you have, but what was it, it takes a lot of tenacity to go through the highs and lows of being a realtor and to stick with the game and to keep yeah. playing the game. So as you're challenged in those early years, what are you kind of linking back to that kept you going through those challenging times? Part of it was definitely my experience with my parents and I watched them, you know, grow and fail and, and, and achieve great things. But it was, I knew it was a roller coaster. I knew it wasn't easy for them and there's still challenges today. So I I had seen that, which helped a lot. Um, Don't get me wrong. There is definitely times because there's no security that it's, it is scary, especially as you get more and more responsibilities, as I said. But I had that kind of success story to to fall back on that I knew very not not fall back on, but use it as a driver. Um, I don't like to fail. I don't like to give up. I don't like to you know just admit defeat. <laughs> I like to pivot though. I like to change what I'm doing and try something different. And and I think that's what's been really instrumental in not only our real estate investments but also my career. Um, I don't get stuck in one in one way of doing things, and so keeping it fresh and different helps, helps keep moving you for moving you forward. Right. So, uh, there is fear, you know, no doubt about it. Just yesterday, my husband was telling my daughter, you know, what it means to be brave. And, and it's not that you're not scared. It's that you keep doing it anyway. Right. You, you push through the fear and there's absolutely been fear. There's absolutely been hesitation, but at the end of the day, I know I'm good at this. I know I have something to, to add to people that is valuable and that, um, and that I can do a good job at it. So at the end of the day, I believe all those things. The roller coaster will continue, but um, yeah, in in the long run, it's a it's a well worth it pursuit. So, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you you brought it up a little bit in terms of back when you had your career in the oil and gas industry, and you worked in an office where you know part of one of the reasons that you were kind of like didn't like the environment was because of the environment as a as a female. In, yeah. in really a predominantly male world. I mean, it's I, I'm sure it's changing and shifting. I haven't been in oil and gas forever, but I, I do recall the time yeah. when I did have that experience. 
And and so today you're a realtor, you're female in that world. How is that now? Like how would how do you find you're you know like you're a successful realtor, you're you're in that world, you know, you're female, mm-hmm. you're a mom. I want to talk about how do you do that while you're a mom? How do you do it? Do you still bump <laughs> up against those those the you know that those that ceiling called I'm a female? I don't know. I'm 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 actually asking because I haven't really talked to anybody in this in this space for a while. Yeah. But how do you do it yeah. all? How do you how do you get all that done and still keep that attitude that you know of courage mm-hmm. to get through the challenging times? Yeah, I mean it's definitely improved from when I was in the oil and gas days, and that was that um, you know kind of the early two thousands. Um, it wasn't something I could really talk about. It's a lot more um, acceptable to talk about this more widespread. So I'm very thankful for that. But you know today it's significantly better. Is it removed where there isn't these stereotypes or issues or, you know, even walking onto a, a job site, do, is there, are, am I still treated differently than, than, you know, my male counterparts? Absolutely. Um, but at the end of the day, it falls back on how I receive it and how I, what I put out there and not kind of allowing that to shrink me. Right. So I am very, um, I'm very confident in, in, in what I do and kind of push through that if I'm in a situation and the great thing about being self-employed and self-directed in my career is I don't have to work with, with people who don't treat me with, with respect or with, or to my you know colleagues, it's the same thing. So I love that, but it's becoming more and more equal footing, no matter the situation I'm in, but it definitely still does come up. And there is kind of those decisions you have to make in your career to decide, is this worth kind of putting up with something that maybe isn't the best for you? So getting better, still a bit of a problem, but not like it was for sure. Yeah, I'm going to circle back to that conversation a little bit later on because I, I yeah. really do believe it's an important conversation. And I, you know, yeah. I, I share the story around Stephanie, my wife, who, gosh, uh, how many years back in the '90s, early '90s? I mean, she was a skating coach for uh, an NH for NHL hockey teams and and players. Yeah. And she worked for the Oilers. She worked for St. Louis Blues. She worked for players one-on-one, you know, the point is, is that she was very female in a totally male dominated world. And so I I have the experience of how did she pull that off? How did she do that? You make an interesting point, which is you, you do make a choice to say, how do I, how am I going to face that? You know, and, and do I take a stand in my values and am I willing to walk away or to, you know, to speak up and, and be considered the bitch you know there's all these things that happen right (laughs) so we 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 don't need to go down that path right now but i think it's an interesting conversation and i'm always interested in having it and so okay so today you're you're also a mom so you're you're building your career Mm -hmm. as a realtor you're a mom of what two two yeah two now you got the perfect family right don't you have a boy and a girl (laughs) yeah yeah i do that's that's perfect tell me about the age how old are your kids uh my son's nine and my daughter's six so and, and so, so, <laughs> so there's benefits to being a realtor in that space, right? And what about your husband? Yeah. What is what is your what what role in all of this realtor world and real estate world does your husband play? So when we first started dating, um, he had a background in real estate investments as well. His mom was very interested in this and had taught him how to manage properties, you know, analyze properties. They had a, a portfolio as well. And so we've been very connected through this thing called real estate since we started dating. And then as we've kind of moved through life, my husband's a classically French trained chef. So I'll have to come eat at our house sometime. Wow. <laughs> I'm in. And um, 
Yeah. And then um, when we uh, first had our son, so almost 10 years ago now, um, it was kind of like we were either going to start a restaurant or we we're going to start a family. We at the time knew we couldn't do both well at the same time. <laughs> and so we, we wanted to, to start a family. And, um, but my husband is always interested in the, in the music side of business. And I encouraged him to go to sound and engineering school just as a fun thing to do. We had uh, a portfolio of properties that were supporting us at the time. He could take a year off and, and, you know, try something like this out. This sprouted a whole new career for him. He's been in the music industry since then, you know, as a management in the management side and artist development and loves it. And so if it wasn't for having those, having that portfolio, having the real estate and me pushing him to go try something different, our lives would be so different. So we're both kind of self-employed. We're, you know, we both juggle our schedules. No week ever looks the same. We make it work, right? So. Well, let's get, let's not step over. So you built the portfolio of real estate that allowed you, gave you the freedom to take some time yeah. to step back, slow down, make some decisions, <laughs> career choices. And yeah. do, you, do you still own that portfolio today? Was that portfolio built up over years? How did you, how did you get to that place? You know, because there's, that's actually kind of a, that's what real estate investors, most real, I shouldn't say that. I don't want to generalize. Many real estate investors would yeah. love that. So how did yeah, you, exactly. how, how did you make that all happen? So. Um, as I said, his his family was involved in um, real estate, so he had a few properties that he was managing. The, you know, his um, mom was very involved in this, which was wonderful. Um, and then we started buying as well. So we were at the point where, um, well, back then, to accessing financing was much easier. Sure. Um, and but we we you know got up to about eight to 10 properties, depending at the, at the time. And then we were also doing short-term projects as well, but building that up at that point, we, you know, used other investments to fund down payments. Um, uh, my, my husband, Rodney's dad, um, is in the, was in the oil business. He still is, but, um, so we were investing in a few different things, using those wins to buy real estate, um, and trying to just make that money stretch as, as, as far as we could, we were self-managing everything. So, um, all that money was going back into our pocket and you're absolutely right. And that's, that's the goal and that's the dream. And, uh, we used that for several years, actually, it didn't turn out as kind of as great for my career at that time. I actually was struggling with many, many health issues. And for a couple of years, I couldn't, I could barely work, um, when my, when my son was really small. And so I'm so, so grateful that we had that portfolio at that time. And, um, and then we used those properties to leverage my husband's new career as well. So it took a lot of money to start up in that, in that business. And what other way would we have ever been able to fund something like that, you know, in our, in our kind of late twenties. So it played a lot of roles for us in supporting our careers, our lives, our health. Um, you know, I was able to, to travel to specialty doctors all over North America because of what we had. So it really did um, have a huge impact on the on the routes we were able to go for our health, but also our um, business. So it's pretty cool. Let's talk about that a little bit because you know, of course, with rain, we talk about you know three, eight, seventeen, three properties, eight properties, seventeen properties. You know, uh, three yeah. is you know that kind of that financial security. Eight is that financial certainty, and seventeen is that financial freedom. That's milestones mm -hmm. that we know when you do the math. 
the math comes out a certain way. You know, so you're in that at that time, you're in that kind of I, I think I heard you say that eight property range, you know. Yeah. And that's actually really allowing you the freedom to step back and start to leverage some of your knowledge, some of your other investments, because you're doing short-term projects, I heard in that as well, which means yes. you're, you're generating additional income. So it's not like you're living off of eight properties, but those eight properties are allowing you access to capital, giving you some breathing room to continue to build that's another right. business. And, yeah, and that's important, that's right. I think. I think that's important for listeners to understand. But also what I hear in this conversation, which is really, to me, important, we talk about having real estate investor focused realtors on your team when you're building your team whether it be a realtor or a broker what's really yeah. uh, what what's i think is so powerful about for real estate investors that might be listening to this and why that is is you know you natasha i mean you're in it you actually 100% relate to what the goals of somebody might be and what they're you know what they might be dealing with and because you actually have lived it. You're living it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a really strong relatedness to it. And, I, and, and that pause is just to really emphasize that, you know, realtors, there's many of them, but there's mm -hmm. actually a very small percentage of realtors that are investor focused, number one, and, and really have a level of experience that somebody like you would have. And that's why it's also important because I go back to, you're being a mom, you're being a wife, you're, you, you know, you've shared that you, you were dealing with some health issues and real estate mm -hmm. kind of was a pretty pivotal part of your life in, in, in being able to get through that time. Huge, huge. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for that, we, we would have had to sell our house. We would have had to ask for help. And I mean, we definitely had help in other ways, but we didn't have to dissolve of everything to be able to get the care I needed or to help Rodney get his new career off the ground. So it was a big security blanket in a lot of different ways. And that's why I am so passionate about telling people about these these stories because it's it's real life and this can happen to anyone in terms of, you know, losing your job or having health issues that come up that you do not expect and having something to fall back on is so huge. So share with me a little bit about that time because I want to dig into a little bit, you know, unpack a little bit about just the conversation around what is the mental attitude? Like you, you went through that adversity at that time. Mm -hmm. What's when you were, you know, when you kind of look back on it, mm -hmm. what were you doing that helped you get through it? Was there something, if you were going to share some guidance with somebody that was going through a similar uh, experience, yeah. what would, what would you say? So, these are things I still deal with today. So I, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. I had endometriosis. I had a lot of painful conditions that were essentially just making me bedridden. And um, for quite a while, I, I struggled. Like I really, really struggled to find the space in my head, mostly to decide how I wanted to live my life. I, it was very defeating to be so young and have been on such a, you know, a, a, incredible path so far. And I kind of just came to a crashing stop all of a sudden. And it took me a couple of years, but at the end of the day, you know, I, 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 I have dreams. I have things I want to do in my life. I want to be a good mom. I want to be a good wife. I want to travel the world. I want to, I want to contribute. And, um, it was really about the mental mindset. Yes. I saw some incredible doctors and they did some amazing things, but I'm not here 
I still struggle with this on a daily basis, but it's all about my mindset and what drives me. And that comes first. And that's the first thing I think about in the morning. And if it's, if it takes me two hours to kind of get going that day or 10 minutes, it's, it's kind of the same process. And I know it's kind of, you hear it so much. It comes down to your mindset. It comes down to your thoughts, but it really is 100% true. And, um, that is what it came down to is I don't want to live my life sitting here in bed doing nothing like that. Just, that's just not okay with me. And so, you know, I'm going to have to deal with it. So it's just a matter of using your, your family for support, your resources for support that you do have, but ultimately playing that mental game (laughs) is, is a constant requirement. So what is chronic fatigue? So chronic fatigue is not my diagnosis, but it's chronic pain. Um, so I have, I have fibromyalgia, which is like widespread pain for really no reason. Um, and then a few other painful conditions like chronic headaches, TMJ, endometriosis, all these other painful things, but essentially it adds up to you wake up every day and don't feel well. I don't ever wake up feeling well. Um, and so it's, I can get myself to, to feeling well, but it's a process and it's a journey every single morning and I have to force myself to go through it. Because I know once I get through it, I get going, I get my head right. I'm not cured, but I can go about my day and achieve what I want to achieve that day. So, you know, it's really a mental battle and it's about routine and taking care of yourself and and, and all of those things that we all know we all should do. Um, But it's incredibly important to stick to it for someone with chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or any sort of chronic pain is you move outside of those kind of routines and boundaries you've set for yourself and it can really, really set you back. So let's spend a little bit of time on that, you know, routine, because in my world, and, and as I've talked to so many, you know, guests on this show and, and people I know, routines are really important. You know, I have, I have mm-hmm. my routine and I go through highs and lows like anybody, you know, but I know that my routine yeah. is incredibly important. And so for your routine, you know, and you talk about the mental game. Mm-hmm. you've got a physical uh, component of it as well. So what kind of, what kind of things are you doing? What does a routine in the morning look like you? Are you reading? Are you meditating? Are you, you know, physically, maybe you're stretching, you know, what kind of, what does your routine look like on a, on a kind of a day? Yeah. Day? So again, like you, I mean, this, this goes in times where I do a great job of this and, and, and other times not, but when, you know, things are going really well, I've noticed it requires all of those things. This year I've been implementing using the Wim Hof method with like cold showers. And Mm -hmm. so I wake up, I do breathing routines to help get me going. And then the first thing I do is, you know, shower and use the cold water therapy to help get me going. And that really, really does help. Okay, let's let's slow down down here a minute because I've, (laughs) I've tried that. I cannot bring myself to do it. Like I don't have the mental wherewithal <laughs> to do that in the morning. I've tried. Well, I go well. Maybe I'll leave it a little while. So, do you literally <laughs> a cold shower? Don't you? No, 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 oh. no, no. I I go into the warm shower first. You know, but I don't. I, Wim doesn't say that. He said that's not his. But I don't think yes, Wim says that. Yeah. Does he? Okay. He does. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He does because it. You don't want it to be like a panic inducing thing. That's the main right. thing that he, he, he kind of teaches. So, and then depending where you're at, like maybe you want five seconds in the cold or whatever, at the end of the shower, turn it down and do your breathing and count through however many times you have to do it. Now, 
again, the hardest part is making yourself do it, right? But I have really, really found that. And then combined afterwards with some sort of physical activity, nothing crazy, but like stretching, movement, a bit of yoga, that starts my day off so, so strong. And then Mm -hmm. from there, you know, breakfast going about my day. But those three things, the breathing, the showering with the cold water at the end, and then a little bit of stretching or something is huge for me. And, 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 And it's likely also probably because of what I'm dealing with physically. Um, I have a lot of inflammation. So the cold helps me. <laughs> Sometimes it actually feels good too. <laughs> yeah, well, you know something I have done, I have done, I've tried it. I've gone like several days doing it and I, I just can't identify a strong enough upside, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. If, if I could say, holy cow, this is amazing. And maybe I haven't done it enough. You know, maybe I got to. That could know, be. It's, go it's longer, but. It's not for the faint of heart. That is for sure. Um, it is not. But it's, and, and I mean, and I'm still not through the whole, you know, kind of process. This is new for me this year. Actually kind of started during quarantine, beginning of quarantine, because I started researching more. And I'd heard about this a couple of years ago, but I was too chicken to try it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but at home at the time, I was researching, trying to find something else to add into kind of my health. And this is what I've tried. And so far, I'm quite liking it. And I definitely noticed the days I skip it and I'm late or whatever are not as good as the days I do it. Well, the whole cold thing is supposed to be very, very good for inflammation overall. Yeah. And um, it does whatever it does for your body. Okay. Well, we digress, but (laughs) you threw me off with that one because I've known a couple of people who who actually, I don't know anybody who's stuck to it. You know, I've known lots who have tried it and actually given it a really great try. Uh, you know, a mm-hmm. couple of months and done all this stuff, but they all go back to just, yeah, just think I'll stick with the warm shower. It feels much yeah. better. Than going it does. It does. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't say, uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't done it for more than, I guess I'm at about four months now or so, but we'll see. And then yeah. some other fat will come along. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> let's go uh, totally a little bit off track, but it's still you yeah. know, really interesting because your husband started to build his career in the in the manage, management and recording. I, I don't know if he's if yeah. he's not a technician, but he's working with with uh, upcoming artists, correct? Yeah, he's more involved in the artist development. So taking someone from, you know, just just getting started or whatever point they're in their career and determining how to get to the next stage of their career and developing them along the way. So um, that, and then in combination with music management, which is managing the day-to-day, you know, operations that need to happen. So you've uh, you've recently, I don't know about recently, but he's working with a a, a pretty young upcoming star right now. I think in country, is it, is it a country artist? Yeah, her uh, her name is Kelsey Kulik. And um, that's the really good story around her too. So when he went to music school, as I was, as I was talking about, which I did kind of push him out the door and tell him to go do this thing. Um, But he came home super pumped about it was like, you know, it just had really sparked something inside of him not too long after school started. So we're talking about almost eight or nine years ago now, um, nine years ago now, he came home and he was like, just shaking with excitement. He was so, so excited. And he had met Kelsey at the studio. She was in uh, the studio recording a demo with her, with her, with her family. And he really saw something in her and saw that this was like his chance to really go for it. And, um, Two weeks later, we started a record label and publishing company, <laughs> and we were in the music business just like that. 
you know, lots of lessons along the way. And right now we are more positioned as just her, as her, as her management um, and, and the development side of things where her, um, you know, we've invested in her career and are very, you know, grateful to have met her. She's an incredible person. I mean, she's a cancer survivor. She's so, so talented at writing and um, performing, and she's very good at drawing the emotions out of people, right? So he was super inspired by her. And just this last week, she got her CCMA nomination for Roots Album of the Year. So it's been, it's been a journey as well. Like, you know, that's not an easy business. That's a very, very tough business to be in. And, um, you know, we've, we've worked together on a lot of this stuff and support one another, but both tend to like this, you know, entrepreneurial kind of side of business where we're forging our own path a little bit. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, Stephanie and I have been self-employed for 35 years and, you know, a couple, you know, with yeah. different, different businesses. They're kind of, we cross paths in our businesses, but we really are yep. independent of each other. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what you've learned along the way in working with your significant other. I think there's, you know, many listeners that would are challenged by that. You know, they've tried it, didn't work, or you've got one that's uh, got a career and the other that's an entrepreneur. But how how is it that you've made it work? What are some of the things that mm -hmm. maybe you would share that you've learned along the way? Yeah, you know, certainly. So we've been married for a, almost 11 years now. And we were young when we got married, right? Um, but we started these careers at that point. Um, and certainly we've gotten much, much, much better at dealing with our differences, um, but also being the right type of support for, for one another along the way. And we're very different thinkers. My husband has, has incredibly huge and brilliant ideas. And I'm more like looking at the day-to-day -day and the smaller stuff. And so sometimes that, that clashes, right? Like he's telling me I'm not thinking big enough and I'm telling him, well, we got to focus on what we're doing right here, right? Um, both of them are valid and both of them need to be there. Um, so we've really had to learn how to understand that about one another, first of all, um, because in the beginning we didn't, we kind of, you know, really took the ground of a little bit of, I know better, I'm going to do it my way. Um, when the right way is both ways. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, we've, we've really just, we really just had to practice really hard on it. Um, there's a lot of emotions that come when, when you're feeling, passionate about something, right? Like you feel very passionate about your ideas and your, and your, your journey. And so it's really just, there's, there's no, there's no secret sauce. It's serious effort and, and communication and listening to one another, but ultimately just like supporting that person where they want to go. I've never seen my husband so inspired as he has been in his music business. And he's a very creative guy. Like he's, he's a creative chef. He likes to write music. He He's a very creative guy, but, you know, being around the right type of community, as we've always talked about, even at Rain, for him now in his music scene is not something we had at home or with our friends. And so supporting him and, and uh, letting him go and do that with my full support and backing has, has been huge. And that's the only way to, to, to go about it, right? Um, that was calling him. And uh, that's, um, that's still where he wants to be today. So it's just a matter of finding the right balance there of how to communicate. Well, and, and to your point, it, it is really a commitment to it. I mean, that yeah. if you, you've got different styles, different personality types, you know, you're 
you know, you're probably more execution. You're more in the minutia of how to and getting stuff done. He's bigger yeah. thinker, bigger creative. And, and those two are always going to clash. And I know that one because, you know, Stephanie yeah. and I bump into that often. I mean, we've learned how to do it. And, and, and on the other side of it, you know, it really is about if you, if you need to be, if you have a really strong need to be right, you're always mm-hmm. going to clash. You know, if you, if you step Absolutely. back from it and can listen long enough to see the other side of it, it so it really boils down to communication. It's also learning like how you can use that with, with one another. Like my husband struggles with some of those execution things. So, okay, I will help you with that. I will take care of that. And then I get stuck in the day to day. He's going, Hey, you, you need to be thinking bigger. You need to be, you know, thinking, what are you going to do from here? And I get stuck down here. And so bouncing things off of him has, has created um, a really, really healthy kind of growth curve for the both of us, because it's a huge asset. So that too. How do you fold kids into all this, Natasha? Because I know that we have lots of moms mm-hmm. that listen and they struggle with that. They struggle with the guilt yeah. of going, I'm not spending enough time with my kids. And, you know, you know, my daughter needs more of me and she's not getting enough yeah. of me. And and so there's this always this, you know, and I don't believe there's anything called balance, but I, I asked the question, no. how do you balance all that? But how do you, yeah. how do you actually, what have you learned in, in these years to make that work? Um, I mean, your kids are a little mm-hmm. older now, that's helpful. So, but how do you, how do you and your husband kind of make that work? Yeah, that's, that's something I definitely do struggle with and I've struggled with, you know, more at certain times, but yes, they're a little bit older, but they're also more vocal now. <laughs> and so um, yeah. I know very well what, especially my daughter is thinking and if I'm not there enough. And so um, but it does really come down to kind of my experience as a child of two, you know, people who wanted to create something with their lives is they're very involved. Um, they, I don't hide anything from them. They, they know very much why I'm traveling to Ontario or why I'm going to Vancouver or what I'm doing, because I want them to see, you know, that I'm, that I'm building something, I'm working towards something. I'm, I'm not just choosing something that's not them. I'm building something for them, for us, for our family. And that, that does help. And it also makes them aware, but also like grateful for what we have because they understand what it takes, that it's, this is not easy to do. It requires time and energy and commitment to get to these goals. And so we, we celebrate along the way. Um, but we also, you know, when we, when we do have the time, we really do try to make the absolute most of it. And communicate along the way as to what's actually going on. Now, they're pretty lucky. We're both home, you know, a lot of the time. I'm probably gone for longer stretches of time than my husband is, um, though he's, you know, he travels a lot, mostly to um, Nashville. But on a day-to-day basis, I'm out of the house a lot. And so, you know, things like now I've let them started calling me during the day through their like Facebook app on their on their iPad so they can feel connected to me when they need to be but yeah, ultimately there's no secret sauce. Like you said, there's, there's no hundred percent balance, but keeping them in the loop, I think is huge. Kids are very smart. Yeah, there's, yeah, it is amazing how smart kids are and, and certainly how connected kids are. There's often a conversation about quantity of time and quality of time. And which is to say, although you're in the space because you're both you and your husband are working from home. Mm-hmm. Are you those parents that will set your phone to the side and go, you know, for the next hour, we're not touching our phones or for the next day or whatever that might be for you. But are, 
are you really looking at that quality time where you're just being really focused on being present with the kids and hanging out? Are you, are you built that way? Definitely try to. <laughs> it's very hard as a realtor to turn my phone off for very long. Now, as I've gotten further into my career, that's becoming easier because I'm able to delegate a lot of things now. But, you know, going back when they were babies, it was pretty, pretty, it was pretty tough to be able to do that. And, um, but now it's a matter of also just, yeah, like blocking my time. Like during, during this time, I'm going to focus on this. And then for for the next two hours, I'm not, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be focused on the kids. Is the phone off and, and I'm not available? No, that'd be really hard for me to say, but I'm, but I'm not, you know, out there looking for the phone to ring. If it rings, I'm available most times, um, but I'm not physically working on something at the moment. Things like bedtimes, um, really important to me. Like I love doing bedtime reading with the kids. We still kind of have our, you know, nighttime routine, even though they're getting older. And uh, that's really, really important to me. And, you know, the nights I'm not home for bedtime, they make it very known (laughs) that they're not happy with it because it's something that they appreciate. It's a good end to the day, right? To kind of reconnect show everyone we're still here, talk about our day a little bit. And um, yeah, ready for the next one. Let's kind of veer off a little bit. I want to know a little bit about what's going on right now for you, given what, you know, has transpired over the the weeks and months with COVID. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing and feeling in, in that Alberta market. I know your, your backyard's Calgary. Mm-hmm. What are you what are you feeling in the market right now and and what are some of the challenges you're facing? What are some of the wins you're having? And how have you been dealing with all of the all things COVID in terms of the change of rules and how you have to operate? Yeah. It's been um it's 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 been a ride so far. Um and I think it's not gonna stop really. It's changing week to week, like things are changing so quickly through COVID, through this spring, like we're, we're talking right now, it's the middle of the year. We still, you know, we're transacting a lot of deals, still seeing a lot of investment from outside of Alberta, particularly, um, but still a lot of investors looking to park their money here. So that didn't really slow down through COVID. Actually, we were dealing with new challenges, of course, and things were a struggle to deal with in terms of appointments and showings and appraisers and, you know, getting things funded and all that but work through all that really strongly. Now we're at a point in the year where, you know, it's the, it's the middle of summer, but the market is quite busy. Listings are, um, are kind of the hot topic right now. That's what I'm kind of focused on, on, on the, on the daily. And people are looking to make a switch. They've been sitting in their house a lot as we all have and are wanting to make some sort of move, whether it's downsizing or, you know, moving out of the, of the, of the city. There's a lot of change happening. And I think very much what Rain has been talking about, I'm very much in agreement with, is that it's still too early to, 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 to tell a little bit. As we move into this fall, I think we're going to start seeing a little bit more of what's actually going to happen. And we're just starting to see that now, too, where we're seeing these um, kind of hot deals coming through, off-market deals coming through, people in a, you know, in a certain way that we're going to need to you know, provide a solution for. So, yeah, it's just a matter of taking it you know, day by day and seeing what comes, but still lots of opportunity here, still lots of people doing deals. Now, you you make a point of that you're seeing some out-of-province out of investors. You know, what's yeah. the, what, what are you seeing? Is there a reason that you're seeing out-of-province investors come into Alberta, come into Calgary? What's driving that, if that's the right word to use, but what's attracting yeah. those out-of-town investors? So there's quite a few things. Um, one is price point and affordability. 
um, a lot of these investors are from the GTA or, you know, Vancouver market, and they want to make their money go a little bit further. Um, number two, they're after they're after cash flow and in their market because of high prices, they cannot find that cash flow. They're looking for long-term buy and hold solutions. I, I wouldn't suggest anyone to be looking short-term right now in Alberta in terms of a buy and hold, just a regular rental property. But that, and then also things like no land transfer tax, our favorable landlord laws. A lot of these investors have been burned by their own provincial government and are frustrated and do want to protect their investment um, in Alberta with the with the landlord laws. So all those things combined is a huge driving factor. Just to give some perspective, um, if you're looking at, you know, as an investor, if you're looking at a detached home in, you know, in a in a nice area of Calgary or a, a, I want a nice area, I mean a an area of Calgary that would be good to attract tenants and be the right area of town for that. Mm-hmm. What's the price point? Let's say what's the price difference? What are you looking at for dollars and cents in Calgary versus I don't know what you're hearing in the GTA or, or in other parts of yeah. Ontario? So for a single family property with a suite, which is what most of our investors are going after, we're in the mid fours. Um, and so, you know, in their market, you can barely buy a condo for, for that. And so um, it's, it's really about the, the uh, price point that is, that is driving them here first. Now there's, certain areas, of course, where that'll change a little bit, but roughly speaking, mid fours for a single family house or attached uh, duplex that'll cash flow really well for you. Now, when you're looking at um, the market in Calgary, in terms of the long term, you, you mentioned there's some cash flow you know, opportunities there. Um, mm-hmm. how, are, how are people handling from out of town? How are they handling property management? How are they handling getting things done? Yeah, so that's a really good question. That's the first thing people are a little bit um, worried about. Again, being experienced in this helps a lot. My husband and I um, have owned properties in Ontario, BC, and Alberta. Currently, it's BC and Alberta. So I understand the fear of that and what that's going to look like. So being investor-focused, I can really help them build that team immediately, right? I have the contacts that they need to manage or own this property from anywhere. And so um, it's become a bit of a specialty that, that we can accommodate that without them ever even setting foot in Calgary. Most of my investors don't even ever, ever even see what they, what they have uh, bought. So it's pretty cool. So the stuff that you're really focused on right now is, I think you're, and give me some background on it, Natasha. I think in this case, w- the message we would want to get across is that there's still investment opportunities, even during this particular, what we'll call COVID crisis, whatever's going yeah. on economically in that regard. But yeah. so you're, these are new pro- newer properties, correct? These are, you have a deal with some developers that you're working with and they're doing turnkey stuff so that you're actually, you, your property management is there. So you're buying and, and everything's kind of handled. Is that the case? Yeah. Yeah, so I um, a few years back, I took the time to really build the right type of relationships to to um, service turnkey investments. That really wasn't a thing um, going back a few years ago. There really was nothing that made a lot of sense. And so, with my construction background and pounding the pavement, I've made some incredible um, relationships that are making this as turnkey as possible. We're trying to make this as easy as possible for out-of-town buyers to buy. So we're packaging in property management. 
Um, we are providing incentives that are unique to out-of-town investors to make it easier for you to buy something without ever setting foot here. So it's, um, it's been incredible to watch that evolve as well. Now, is financing involved? Like, how do you, are, are you also bringing it to the table a broker that's familiar with the project and familiar with working with out-of-town investors? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a uh, broker partner that I work a lot with who, um, who specializes in new construction and also, uh, you know, really understands um, real estate investing. He is also a financial planner here in Calgary. So his name's Ryan Bond of Mortgage Line. Give him a shout out. But, um, you know, some people come with their own, their own, their own financing. bank and their own broker. Yeah. I really would suggest though, if you're buying property in, in Alberta to work with someone from Alberta, or if you're buying in BC to work with someone in BC, I cannot stress enough as you guys do, you know, using the specialists in that area that, that understand the product and what you're trying to do. So yeah. when we, uh, when we look at real estate investment, I mean, when we look at what's going on economically right now and you look into the future, uh, what are you hearing about Calgary? You know, I know oil and gas is getting beat up. We know that economically over the coming months and years, we're, mm -hmm. we're looking at a, a real, some economic challenges in Alberta and Alberta has been painted with a, well, they are, you know, Alberta's getting kind of getting their ass handed to them in a, in a number of different ways economically. But as you being in yeah. the market, being a resident of Calgary, working with investors, where does the optimism live for you in that environment? Can you be optimistic yeah. about it? I think from a real estate investor standpoint, you need to look at it like that, right? Um, if you're a regular homeowner, your, your, your perception of this is going to be very, very different. Um, there's always opportunity in times of um, difficulty, always. So it's a matter of pivoting and um, knowing what to implement when. So, you know, we, we touched on this earlier, but my husband and I were, were building infills for quite a few years and we loved doing it, did well at it with um, two, other, two other partners, but we stopped when that didn't make sense anymore. And I wouldn't advise, I don't want to be building infills right now because it doesn't make sense right now. And so it's a matter of, you know, what does make sense with what's actually going on in the world. And I think the people who, you know, who you hear kicking and screaming saying, don't invest in real estate are not willing to make those pivots and those adjustments as the market adjusts. So what I'm suggesting right now is long-term buy and hold is, is like, this is the time to pick up those type of assets. There's lots to choose from. There's incredible incentives, you know, and then also look at where it makes sense. I don't really suggest as an example, buying a rental property in downtown Calgary right now, as we all know, our downtown core has really taken a beating and it's not drawing in enough um, people to make it a good rental market. Whereas when you look at the suburbs, the vacancy rates are lower, the demand is higher, price points are lower. And so your, your cash flow numbers look much, much better. So doing the right thing at the right time, really. Well, that, but that's, you know, I mean, you hit it. I think you make a really, really good point, which is when we look at where things are at the cycle, there's never a bad time to invest in real estate to be, you know, I, I and I 100% yeah. believe that <laughs> what it's the tactic that you use, the strategy that you use, given whatever the economic condition of that region is, which is to your point is yeah. that you're not building infills right now because infills is not what you should be doing. It's not the that's best right. way to, to make money. But when you look at a long-term buy and hold scenario, I think what, you know, for those of you know listeners that aren't investors, when we look at what's going on economically and 
we can't ignore what's happening in the US. We can't ignore what's happening globally in this scenario where, you know, what is the insurance policy you have from uh, the very high possibility of uh, a dollar that's devaluating, you know, the devaluation mm -hmm. of, of, of our actual our dollars. I mean, we're, we're, we, our own Canadian government, our federal government here, you know, U.S. aside, we're printing money it, and we just keep printing money. Mm -hmm. There's a very, very yeah. strong argument for uh, devaluation of, you know, our currency, fiat currency overall. And whether you, you know, you ha I guess you have to buy into it at some point to say, okay, well, even if I don't, how am I hedging against it? And hard assets over the long term, like a like real estate, uh, when you have a long term view of it, like you described, Natasha, is yeah. is really important and a, a very uh, plausible way to pr protect your your capital uh, into the long run if you've got a long term view of it. Exactly, that's that's exactly the name of the game right now. Um, yeah, long term view. So short answer. Yeah, long-term view. Hang on to it. So let's go back yeah. a little bit to <laughs> to your you know your own kind of career and where you see things going in the Calgary market. What what are you, what are your own goals? Are you looking at uh, would you one day have your own brokerage or are you really just satisfied doing what you're doing right now? What, yep. What's your kind of what's some of your long-term goals? Yeah. So twofold. I mean, my career and then my own investments. Um, for my own investments, I am focused right now on, I do like doing projects. I do like getting my hands dirty and, and uh, having a bit of a project on the side. So um, we're, we're into legalizing existing basement suites right mm -hmm. now in Calgary. There's a huge, huge opportunity for that and raising joint, joint venture money to do that. So we'll continue on with that. Um, you know, they're the best cash flowing properties we can find. We can have a really good... Um, long-term opportunity with those picking and choosing areas that are seeing good development, seeing, you know, uh, transportation changes, things coming to the area that are going to improve the property for us, just like rain teaches. Right. So that's where we're absolutely focused on in the investment space. Well, that's what you say that there's a really good opportunity right now. Part of that is because of what's going on with uh, Calgary in terms of, did they not extend, yeah. didn't they, they extend legalization or something that the, the period of time. Yeah. Give, give, me, give me a little bit of details on what they're doing with suited uh, units because yeah. they've extended. You got to be legal. You got to legalize those suites, but they've extended the time that you have to do that. Is, is that kind of what you're working with right now? Yeah, exactly. The original deadline was June 2020. Um, due to COVID, they extended it till the end of um, December 2021. And the huge difference with, with what will happen before the state and after the state is the amount of renovations required to legalize an existing suite. So um, right now you can legalize an existing suite just by meeting Alberta Fire Code. And that is a big, big difference compared to building code. And this opportunity, like I said, has a deadline, December 31st, 2021. And the difference in budget that can mean could, you know, be upwards of $50,000 of what the difference is. So huge, huge opportunity. And this applies to attached properties or detached properties. So you see a lot of those older, you know, side-by-sides with illegal suites in them, huge opportunity in those as well as um, single family homes. So I think you make a really, you know, you made the point earlier, which is you look at what's going on in the market and then say, where are the opportunities? And in this case, that's mm -hmm. where the opportunity is. So you actually change yeah. your strategy, you change the tactic to leverage 
that particular opportunity given what's going on in the market, which then plays into that long-term buy and hold strategy. So when you're doing exactly. that, are you are you refinancing up front? How are you how does that transaction look? Yeah, so often using uh, hard money for the purchase, get the job done. My partner would usually fund the renovation, uh, get the property, you know, up and going, completed, legalized, permitted, and rented, and then, you know, do our refinance and bring it to an A lender at that point. So, you know, we're usually turning those around in, inside three to four months. And when are you managing? What are you doing in that? What is your role in that? Are you managing the project? What are you doing exactly in that? So um, I do have a like contractor that I work with, but I'm very hands on. <laughs> I am on the job. They call me the boss, and uh, you know you you have to be involved in these in these types of projects. Um, I'm grateful I have the knowledge I do because of my family business, but um, even just showing up and being there is so important. Uh, and I want to be there. I love seeing these these things come together. Um, and I also know my stuff. And um, with the sweet kind of legalization process, at least in Calgary, a lot of the you know draftsmen, as example, don't even know the rules or the or the contractors. And if you're not there to tell them what you know is needed, um, it can cost you a lot more money if they are not aware of what the opportunity is. So very important to be there and to be managing those kind of day to day. So if you're, if somebody's going to kind of use this strategy, then definitely you need to be, uh, you need to understand or be with somebody who understands what the rules, what the code, what yeah. code you got to play, what game you're playing. So that's really where the profitability lives, right? Is, is those mistakes are really expensive. It's pretty easy to make a $10,000 or more mistake in that game. Easy. Yeah. My, our last project that we did, the draftsman came in and was drawing up our plans and he said, well, we need two electrical panels and that was going to add on $7,500. And I knew we didn't. And, uh, you know, we went back and forth. There's a bit of a argument. My contractor sitting there like not wanting to get involved, but I knew for sure that that was the case. And, uh, he, you know, was pretty certain that that wasn't the case, but he went home, called the city and sure enough, this was the case. If I wouldn't have pushed for it, sure. You could have two panels, but our budget didn't have room to have an extra $7,500 panel and we didn't need it. So yeah, that's a great example right there. As I've gotten to know you a little bit, Natasha, and then even in this conversation, I look at how you're kind of wired and, and how you move forward. And you've got lots mm -hmm. of kind of leadership qualities, strong leadership qualities. You have to be strong as a leader to do the things that you're doing and to communicate mm -hmm. the way you do with your clients and in the businesses that you have. When it comes to leadership, is that a, is that a study that you, do you study leadership? Do you read about leadership? How do you kind of develop as a leader? Is it something that you're very conscious of? Because there's those individuals who I've had many conversations with, they're very, very focused on being great leaders. They read about it, they study it, they're aware of it. Others don't pay so much attention to it, but they're still very good leaders. What is it for you? What is the, how do you step into that world? That's a really good question. I um, I definitely do, you know, um, study it a little bit, but I wouldn't say a whole lot. I come to every you know meeting, conversation, and it, just with the attitude of uh, what can I do to provide you value? What can I do to bring something to the table for you? 
And that's really how like my husband and I, both of us approach, approach business. Every time we sit down, that's the goal. And that's kind of carried us through from a leadership perspective. I find, you know, leadership also comes with just knowing your stuff. And, um, for my you know team, as an example, the value I'm providing them is education and that's really hard to come by. And so, um, I kind of take that natural leader role, even though I want them to feel just as empowered to, to kind of take on that role as well. So I'm not studying it, but what I'm confident in, what I know I can easily take that position. You've, uh, you've made mistakes like us all. Do you have a, a, yeah. do you have a, a question I will often ask is, do you have a biggest failure, what you thought was a failure that turned out to be a blessing in disguise or a, a, a total failure that in reflection turned out to be a blessing in disguise? Any of those that show up for you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's certain relationships, there's certain things you try, but you're right in saying that there's always something to be learned from these that kind of takes you down the road. I don't have any like large scale regret or anything like that, that I would kind of point a point a finger to, but what I've gotten a lot better at now in my life is knowing when, okay, I'm going down the wrong path here and I need to make a switch. And I think that comes with experience and age and wisdom maybe. But, um, in my younger years, like I, you know, I was working with one kind of mentor for, for quite a long time. And I, you know, I got screwed out of quite a bit of money. And, uh, but I was like stubborn thinking that there's no way this person would do this to me. Right. And this is kind of at the, at the start of my career. And that was a big, big mistake. I wasted, you know, almost 18 months on this person and didn't make a dime and didn't really learn anything. And so, um, I wish I would have kind of ripped the bandaid off sooner and moved forward. And then, you know, like in business period, looking back, um, there are, there are things I wish I would have done sooner, but that's something I'm working on is if this doesn't feel right, this isn't providing me value. I need to switch and, uh, make that, make that pivot, make that adjustment. So that's kind of my largest kind of takeaway so far in my career I'd say. Biggest win. Do you have one? You have one that you go, yeah, that was good. Happy with that. This is something I struggle with, honestly. I I'm not very good at like being like, yes, I've made it or I've you know achieved something. As soon as I get there, I'm on. I, I'm like really on to the next thing. Um, my my husband's really good at being like, maybe you should take a minute and celebrate that, you know, because I'm so like goal driven and I'm like a builder personality that it's the it's the building in the process that I like. It's not, it's not necessarily just arriving at the goal. It's the, it's the whole process of getting there and building whatever it took to get there that kind of makes me proud. So just achieving something is, is, you know, like I've, um, achieved top producer status many times. I was reign realtor of the year. Like those are really great milestones, but it's the like journey and the grit that it took to get there that I'm most proud of. As we start to wind down, I do kind of a rapid fire questions, uh, Natasha, and I think we should do yeah. some rapid fire questions. Are you sure. ready? Okay. Yeah. These, they're not hard questions, by the way. Maybe I'm going to throw a curveball <laughs> into you today. Okay. <laughs> uh, favorite book that you're reading? Oh, um, I'm reading the Elena Cardone Build an Empire book right now. Oh, interesting. And that's because mm. that's. What, when did she release that? A couple of years ago or a year ago? A couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm about cool. halfway through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a book that you've read in the past that really stands out for you as a must read for everybody? 
I really enjoyed reading uh, Miracle Morning, even though I don't get up at five in the morning. That mm-hmm. was, that book set me on the course to even thinking about a routine. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you get to the gates? Oh, your family's here waiting for you. What is your favorite swear word? Oh, uh, probably fuck. <laughs> That's a common one, but I've had all, I've, listen, I've had people go, no, I, I've actually had guests that go, no, I don't swear. What oh, the no, hell? I definitely swear. Yeah, <laughs> no. If, if I hurt myself or drop something, yeah, that's coming out of my mouth every time. <laughs> room desk or your car, what do you clean first? Oh, uh, my room. Do you have a favorite tune? Oh. Being the music buff oh. that you are. Gosh, that's really, that's really, really tough one. I'm a big Johnny Cash fan, so probably, yeah, really? probably, probably Johnny Cash, yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, favorite Love movie. Cash. Favorite movie. Oh gosh, favorite movie. I don't really have a favorite movie. Growing up, I really loved the Fight Club movie. <laughs> it was, I haven't watched it in good. forever. That was yeah, a good was a, movie. I don't, maybe, I don't even know what year movie. that came out, but I, I don't have like a specific favorite movie. Okay, so here's a curveball for you. Uh, that I don't think I've used this on a guest yet, but I, I, I actually. Okay heard about this so a question you have for me oh that's a good question um if you could sit down with anyone dead or alive who would it be oh man oh man I know. Uh, there's different there's different levels of that conversation yeah from an author point of view i'll you know like if i was going to sit down with somebody that um i, I really want to meet stephen king and have a conversation mm. with him because I, I was over the years, I've been a Stephen King fan. I, I mean, I've read lots of his stuff, but I've always wondered yeah. how, where the hell do you get this shit from? Like where, what, Absolutely. what brain <laughs> works that way? You know, <laughs> that, yeah. that, you know, and I think from, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to meet a Nelson Mandela, you know, like I would, you know, yeah, yeah that kind of thing. Absolutely. There's many. Hmm. Interesting Stephen question. King's an interesting one. Yeah, that's um, like, imagine just peeking into someone like that's brain for the day, like what you would experience. Yeah, pretty fascinating. Yeah, exactly. What are you grateful for, Natasha? Oh, oh, there's so much I'm grateful for. I'm so grateful for my family. I'm so grateful for my parents, for the opportunity I have every single day. And yeah, just to be able to do this thing, you know, this journey of life uh, with my husband and my kids, that's the main thing. My, my family's number one. Do you, um, is gratitude a part of some of your routine? Do you ever, when you're feeling a little bit maybe pissed off, overwhelmed, mm. dejected, are you one of those individuals that can come back to gratitude? Yeah. And I, I can get out of a funk pretty quickly. Think, thank goodness. <laughs> Um, because there's no shortage of stress, but that is definitely one thing that um, pulls me out. And then being a parent, you want to, you know, showcase how to, how to deal with this stuff. Right. So being a parent and being that we're all, especially now we're home together all the time. It's always on my mind. Like, what am I projecting? What am I showing them? And, uh, being grateful for what we have and even what we can do in a day is, is a huge part of what we, of what we talk about as a family. Yeah, gratitude is a 
an important tool to uh, you know to really get back to. I think you know to your point. I'm I'm like you as well as I, I have a tendency not to celebrate my wins all that much. I do. Yeah. I, I acknowledge them, but you know, if I'm guilty of a, a shortfall, my wife would say that's it. You know, like what the yeah. hell? Take a minute to celebrate that. So, but I do. I'm I'm like you. I'm I'm also involved in the process and the journey and on all that part of it. It's like yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yay. Okay. Let's move on. Yeah, exactly. You know? and, and, there, and there's some psychology, there's some, some psychology behind that, that, you know, that we would need totally. to pay attention to. But having said yeah. that, yeah. Um, you know, the, the gratitude thing is something that, uh, you know, I've come to, I've learned to uh, really wrap my brain around a lot, which is uh, because things are challenging. Sometimes, uh, you know, businesses that coming at you and life is coming at you in a way that just, doesn't seem fair, but you know, it's yeah. how, do you, how do you switch it around, right? So today I'm of grateful, as, as I always am, I'm grateful for uh, getting to know you, you know, over the past couple of years, Natasha, yeah. very, very grateful for that. And uh, I've always been a Natasha fan. Also uh, <laughs> grateful for having you on the show. Today, what am I grateful for today? Today, I am grateful for the beautiful Fraser Valley and uh, the home that we have and uh, that we live in the country. It's an absolutely spectacularly beautiful day in the poolside studio <laughs> as I sit and have this conversation with you. So it's uh, amazing. I'm grateful, I'm grateful for that. So thank you very much, Natasha, for joining me on the Everyday thank Millionaire. You so thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Natasha. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.